Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who always tells animal rights collectors to fuck off. <laughs> it's Greg. How are you today, buddy? Yeah, I'm very well. Can I just say for the record that I don't tell animal rights collectors to fuck off? <laughs> just in I case. don't know. I think I've heard that. In yeah. case I anybody thinks that that's true. And I think I've just spoiled my um, best use for swearing award <laughs> yeah. for the uh, the end of the podcast as well. But never mind. Yeah. Uh, how are you today? I'm very well. I'm just, I'm admiring, uh, like, people who listen to the podcast regularly will know that Nikki has recently moved house. And I'm just admiring your little sort of reading chair in the background there, like a little reading nook yeah. next to your, uh, your, uh, wrestling paraphernalia. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I have always wanted that chair. Not always wanted, but for years I have wanted this chair. And it's, it's an Ikea chair. It's an IKEA reading chair, and I've I've wanted it for a long time. And recently moved house, and I thought, right, I'm going to buy this chair. And it has a, an accompanying footstool as right. well. Very but nice. the um, it's like for the chair and the footstool, it's like 300 euros, and I'm like, it's oh, a bit much. Like, I, you know what? I've just moved house. I've just had to pay for a lot of new furniture and stuff. I'll leave it for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then one night, I was sat on mark platz which is like a it's almost like facebook marketplace for the netherlands type thing or like a, a dubizzle for dubai type thing and here was someone selling a footstool and chair and they wanted 120 euros for it so i put in a cheeky offer of 80 euros and <laughs> they they came back and said i'll do 100 and i was like okay went to see it and it is literally just immaculate like it brand new so yeah got it for a third of the price. Just chucked it in the back of a car and took it round. And I love it. Yeah, I love sitting in my little reading chair. Very nice. You're like, you're like a real grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Proper grown-up. It's only taken me 42 years. Well, be 43 next month. But yeah, it's taken me that long. But I am a proper grown-up now. Yeah. Very good. Um, I've been doing a bit of air travel. Uh, this week I was on the budget airline. What's it called? Al Jazeera. Uh, not, to oh. be, not, not to be confused with the uh, pro-Iran Qatar uh, news network. <laughs> um, this is a, a budget airline, and I'm sure like it has to be the. I mean, when you live in the Middle East, you're a little bit spoiled because generally, if I fly anywhere, I'm flying with what like a major carrier. So even the mm. even economy is like it's fine. You know, it's comfortable. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Your KLMs, your Emirates, your British Airways is, mm. um, but these this Al Jazeera, I'm sh- there must be human rights violations being committed. <laughs> Tell you now, you don't even get a bit of water, and it was literally like catching the bus. Um, it was just horrendous. Uh, so this is this is a, a warning to all to avoid Al Jazeera Airlines. Um, it, it almost turned me into a right old racist. Put it that way. <laughs> But fortunately, I too am a grown-up and managed to control my emotions. Oh, I, I hope you don't have to fly with them anytime soon now that you've just called them out on the podcast and um, criticised them. So because maybe in future you you might get a glass of water that someone's pissed in. Yeah, well, they don't even bring you any. They don't even bring you anything. Like you, you've literally got to buy everything. Not even like a wee glass of water. Yeah, that, that would be the ultimate insult. I've got to buy. They, I've got a drink of water. I've got to buy it, and somebody's pissed in it because I've roasted them on a on a podcast. I I have a. It, it's just something that um cropped up in the last week. A story to tell you, and I I genuinely can't believe this, and I'm amazed. That, so. I met someone a couple of weeks ago and was speaking to them and uh, she is English and she's 37. So she's, you know, lived a little bit, left England in 2004, she lived in Barcelona since then and she lived in Amsterdam for the last like 
10 years or so. And she says, I am the first Scottish person she's ever met. What? Really? How's that possible? How is that possible? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, so she's so she left England in 2004 yeah. and she went to Barcelona. Yeah, and she lived was... there for 12 years and then right. she's been in Amsterdam ever since. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm the first Scottish person she's ever met. Have you ran into any fellow travellers in Amsterdam in the five years or so you lived Yeah, there? of course. Run to them all the time. Like, well, fuck, we went to the pub and ended up meeting a random <laughs> Scottish <Scots> barmaid. <laughs> barmaid and then an Irish guy sat at the bar. Like, it's not exactly uncommon. Run to Scottish people all the time. I went to a toy fair a few months ago and there was a guy that fucking lived, used to live in Hazelhead that I started speaking to, which is where I was from in Aberdeen. Like, it's not uncommon to bump into people. Like, we, we get around quite a bit. I mean, have I just been spoiled? Because obviously I lived in Aberdeen and lived in Dubai for 12 years. And of yeah. course, I mean, Aberdeen, Dubai is just basically a mini Aberdeen in some <laughs> ways because there's so many Aberdonians there. But I just find it so random, like, that to have never met a Scottish person. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. I mean, that is, that is weird. Well, you, you yeah. know, you have to remember now that you're representing your country and what she thinks about Scotland will be based on what she thinks of you. So no pressure. So, you know, I met, um, I, I was out in the pub uh, last Friday and I ran into two fellows from Stonehaven. Oh, wow. Did they do the fireball? <laughs> no, thankfully not. Although, well, the... <laughs> They might have done after I left because it could quite possibly have been in the post, to be quite honest. But um, <laughs> they um, they were a bit older uh, than me, and uh, as as you know, I'm a fan of uh, Fred Perry polos, you know. Yes. And I was and I was wearing one, so I was in the toilet having a having a piss, and uh, <laughs> don't know why I had to add that little detail in. But anyway, uh, might have been having a line. <laughs> Not in Dubai. Uh, there was an English fella uh, at the urinal next to me, and he said, "Oh, Fred Perry." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "I like, uh, I like Fred Perry stuff." He said, "Oh, he said, he said, oh, you're Scottish." And I said, "I am." He said, "There's, I'm at a table with two Scottish guys, and they're both wearing Fred Perry shirts." I was like, "Really?" <laughs> so you know, so we, we we walked back into the bar together, and sure enough, here's these two guys uh, in Fred Perry shirts. So I say hello to them, and it turns out they're from Stonehaven. So we get chatting. And I end up sitting with them for about 10, 15 minutes. Quite a lot of lies being told, I think. <laughs> In what way? So I, I was saying that I thought Stonehaven was a really nice town. You know, and I was talking mm. about the time that I spent in Aberdeen and blah, blah, blah. Um, and the first guy said to me, he said, uh, well, but you're not from Aberdeen. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm from Glasgow. And he said, uh, so which team do you support? And I said, I don't... For fuck's sake. I said that I, I, I don't support either team. I said if I'm being honest, I said I don't really follow a team, but if if I've got a team in the SPL that I like to see win, it would be Aberdeen because I lived there for quite a long time. Like my best pal's an Aberdeen fan, so I like to see the Dons win. And he said he said, oh, he said I'm a Rangers fan. I was like, what? <laughs> He said, yeah, um, I can't remember why he's a Rangers fan. There was a, there was a tale to tell. Um, but his pal, who was sitting next to it, who was sitting next to him, is an Aberdeen fan. So anyway, I started talking to his pal, and we're talking about clothes. And I said, I really like the book Bloody Casuals by Jay Allen about you know the Aberdeen uh, trendies yeah. in the early eighties and all that sort Great of stuff. Book. Yes, yeah, a fantastic book. And uh, so then, I, then the story starts, which 
can't be true. But the Rangers boy reckoned that these the, the trendies were in a bar in Stonehaven one night and uh, him and his pals got into like a tear up with him and he reckoned that he bottled Jay Allen. He said and he's like it's it's in his book. It's in he mentions getting bottled in a bar in Stonehaven in his book and that was me. And it's been so long since I read the book that I can't really remember a detail like that. And I've read the book a few times as I know you have, but mm. I, I, I can't remember the detail. It's been a long time. I'm not even sure where my copy is to be honest. So yeah. They, they, there was just there was and then that that led to some more tales about like adventures abroad and all this kind of thing and I just thought I'm going to excuse myself <laughs> from this and uh, re- re- return to my companions. But yeah, you know where you can just tell that someone's talking absolute shit. Yeah, you know? I was looking through my book chest the other day because I have all my books in a chest mm. and <laughs> um, I came across bloody casuals and right. I did think to myself I need to reread that. Yeah. So I might bump it up my list and reread it, and I'll I'll let you know if there is a story about a bottling in Stonehaven. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I all my books were in the loft in our house in Glasgow, and when I was back there in the summer, I noticed that uh, at least one box of my books has been stolen <laughs> by tenants, along with some other things. Um, but the lager company. <laughs> yeah, big tenants, bastards. They don't make enough fucking money. Um, yeah, no, like, we've, we've had a few tenants in there over the years and somebody uh, has fucking stolen uh, a box of my books. And the ones, there's a few that, I, that I'm missing, but the ones that I'm really upset about is I paid quite a lot of money for some hardback collections of Tales from the Crypt. Um, the mm the old 1950s EC comic. I fucking love them. So I had like, yeah. I had three or four volumes of Tales from the Crypt. I had a few Vault of Horrors, a few Weird Sciences, and uh, and they're fucking gone. And they were 25 quid a volume. Like about, this, <sighs> was, this was back in about 2008, 2009, so fucking really upset about it. <laughs> fucking God. <sighs> Shocking. Bastards. Yeah. Never mind. Well, anyway. hope they get what's coming to them. So do maybe I. they'll get fireballed, or maybe they get bottled in a Barnstone Haven. <laughs> yeah, by an angry Rangers fan that'll serve them right in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland over the last couple of weeks? Then, Greg, cue the jingle. <laughs> Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on. In the news. Okay, Greg, what have you seen in the news over the last couple of weeks that has caught your eye and you'd like to share with me and our lovely listeners? Well, once again, it's been a bit of a lean week for mm. Swally-centric news. Uh, and then I came across one which <laughs> I think we've had the same sort of story about 100 times over the over the years we've been doing the pod. Um, <laughs> it comes from The Record on... Um, when did it come? Uh, on Thursday, uh, the 25th of January. Drunk shocks chippy staff with sausage supper after p- they're pulling down his pants in the chip <laughs> shop. Um... <laughs> This is Craig. This is Craig Patterson, aged forty. And there's a photograph of him. I mean, I've got nearly six years on Craig, and he looks like he's got fucking thirty years on me. Um, he exposed himself at the chippy takeaway in West Lothian in May 
of 2022. Uh, an 18-year-old girl and a 51-year-old man who had been drinking with Craig in the Bluebell Inn in West Lothian saw him standing outside a nearby newsagent's. He asked them to wait for him while they ordered food from a nearby takeaway food shop called The Chippy. Knowing that he was heavily under the influence of alcohol, they decided to keep an eye on him to make sure he got home safely. However, when the man and woman went into the shop to hurry the accused along, he suddenly boasted to them to them that he had an eight-inch dick and massive balls. <laughs> he added that if the man gave him £50, he'd get them out, uh, Livingston Sheriff Court was told. His drinking companion jokingly told him, Go on then, and Patterson promptly unzipped his jeans dropped his trousers and underwear and exposed his penis and testicles to them. He and the teenager told Patterson to put his genitals away and the accused did as he was ordered. <laughs> All three then went back to the Bluebell Inn and went back to the Bluebell Inn on Main Street in West Calder where Patterson ate the food that he bought. I can't imagine the pub being over the moon about someone bringing their own chippy in. Yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. Uh, that's that's the most unbelievable part of the story for me so far. Yeah. So Patterson uh, of Stuartfield, Crescent, Broxton, West Lothian, in case anybody wants to go and chap his door, appeared for sentence on <laughs> Thursday after earlier pleading guilty to in- intentionally exposing his genitals in a sexual manner with the intention that the witnesses would see them <laughs> in May 2022. Uh, his not guilty pleas to sexually assaulting the teenage girl in the pub by stroking her legs and making indecent sex comments towards her and to others were accepted by the Crown. Um, so he's just a flasher, not a sex case. Uh, Charlie Morrison defending said Patterson was not subject to the notification requirements commonly known as the Sex Offenders Register because a court had ruled that the that he did not um, that the remaining charge of getting his boss out did not have a significant sexual element. Well, that's true. He was trying to make a quick fifty quid off his pal. Uh, I mean, fifty quid's a bit much just to ask for getting your boss out. I mean, I I mean, our friend at Little John's window, which we've already said is me, um, used to do that for free all the time. Okay. So to charge fifty quid, Christ, I could have made a fortune. I was say. Of times I'd be fucking living in the lap of luxury if we're paying you every time you get your boss out. Um, <laughs> So, um, uh, Morrison added that uh, Craig was in, um, what's his name again? Oh, can Craig, yeah, Craig was in uh, homeless accommodation at the time. He doesn't remember what happened, but he says the matter has been a wake-up call for him. Um, so, uh, yeah, the sheriff, Susan Craig, sentenced Patterson to carry out 160 hours of unpaid work in the community for within six months. She says she told him, this was a clearly ridiculous incident and you're absolutely right to be ashamed of yourself. That was appalling behaviour and must have been shocking for those in the chip shop where you behaved in that way. I mean, look, you know, it's... <laughs> Times have changed like, quite a lot, I think, because I have seen some absolute spectacles in the wee hours of the morning queuing for a curry or a kebab um, as a young man. And I don't remember anybody getting arrested. No, I was just about to say some of the sights I've seen in a chip shop at yeah, 2am. But yeah, I mean, we're talking about 20 odd years ago yeah. Greg, when we were doing that. But yeah, I've seen some sights in chip shops. I've seen many a boob. In a chip shop, oh yeah, of yeah. Ladies flashing their boobs to get extra chips or something, <laughs> or to get to the front of the queue. Or um, I've seen many people getting fishy fingers in a chip shop, but not of the over-the-counter variety. Yeah, yeah we've seen many sites. I mean, for God's sake! I mean, always go back to the the pie shop in Chapel Street, and we used to always ask the guy if he was really a master baker and <laughs> stuff, and. 
Yeah. yeah. Used to see some sights in there, but it's all about drunken fun, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, hurt. times have changed now, but uh, 50 quid, I think, is extortionate just to get your balls out. Yeah. I still, I still, it's, I still can't quite believe um, that night. <laughs> you, I, I can... <laughs> I can, I can see your cock in my mind's eye, oh, still pressed against the glass, and again right on the other side of the window where people are eating their dinners. I mean, in my defence, I think I'd had a bottle of like Sainsbury's vodka, which was fucking like paint stripper, and I mean, I must have only been like what twenty one. Yeah, so maybe, maybe even a wee bit over younger. over half my life ago. Yeah, I don't. You know what? I don't regret it, but I don't <laughs> condone it. Yeah. Like it happened. It, it's what happened, and yeah. <laughs> and as you said, I think you said in a previous episode there was many times that I would be in a nightclub and we'd be dancing. I would just tap you on the shoulder and point down and up my cock. <laughs> I know, like, you can't touch this, my MC Hammer would come on. That would be Nicky's cue to draw my attention to the court I, I, I can promise I've not done that for many a time. But there was there was a period of time um, I, I specifically remember, actually. Um, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm going to regret saying this so much. I might cut this out. I don't know. Um, it was around about uh, 2002. It was when I was just leaving uni. And... Um, Jackass was a very obviously big show. Yeah, it's huge. And yeah. um yeah, it was huge at that time. And it became kind of a joke amongst my uni friends. They would start humming the um the party boy song and I would start stripping off. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a photo of me actually in the middle of Bonacord Street in Aberdeen wearing an Indian headdress. Like, not a proper full one, like a party shop Indian headdress with yeah. my shirt open and my trousers on my ankles, <laughs> dancing to the party boy theme that my friends were humming. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, I might cut that out. Um, <laughs> I mean, anyway. I don't think that's worse than pressing your cock up against the glass of a busy restaurant on a Friday night, to be quite honest. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. Yeah, that was just a bit of hijinks where it's, yeah, pressing my cock against the glass might have. Yeah, <laughs> might have offended a few diners, especially if they were vegetarian. But that wasn't that common back then, so <laughs> never mind. Um, <laughs> anyway, right, let's move on. Fuck's sake, I'm going to really struggle <sighs> editing this episode now. Um, okay, so what is happening to our sausage supper hero? Uh, that, um, 100 and, 160 hours of unpaid work that he's got to complete within six months. Um, I so mean, the be- surely... If a judge was having a laugh, she'd just find him 50 quid and say, that's the 50 quid you got for getting your cock out. That's what I would have done. <laughs> I hope you still got that money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Hopefully he's learned his lesson. He, he, he doesn't remember any any of it. Maybe he had a couple of bottles of Sainsbury's vodka as well before he uh, put Maybe. the in. Anyway, that's my first story. What's your first story? This uh, week? My first story this week, Greg, is about, uh, I was going to say an old friend of the podcast. He's not really a friend, but we did cover his story back on episode 49 of the Culture Swally, uh, A Sense of Freedom, available wherever you get your podcasts. So this is about Jimmy Boyle, the gangster turns artist who has helped a latest Scots word be added to the dictionary. Now, I'm quite fascinated by this because recently we kind of both got a same TV package. Maybe you should mention that, don't know. Um, and 
I kind of am making a point of like I've been booking like phantom meetings from three to four p.m. every day <laughs> because I, I I've been watching Countdown. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of like addicted to it again. So, uh, but this is, yeah, uh, this is from Glasgow Live this week. So, convicted murderer turned artist Jimmy Boyle has helped get the Scottish word deafy, meaning to ignore someone, into the Oxford English Dictionary. A new meaning for deafy has been included in the dictionary to reflect it being a Scots slang term. Boyle has been honoured with a mention in the latest edition of the dictionary uh, after being credited with helping to popularize the term which can also be spelled deafy now that means something so i should um, actually confirm the the new word is deafy d-e-a-f-i-e whereas the other term is d-e-a-f-y so, uh, the dictionary researchers found that one of the earliest printed mentions of this word was in the 79-year-old's 1984 prison diaries book, Pain of Confinement, which chronicled his time in Glasgow's Barlinny. A passage in the book reads, Larry is really down at the moment. I spoke to him, but he slung me a deafy. <laughs> the official entry for deafy in the dictionary reads, Scottish, an act of ignoring a person especially into sling, also throw a person, and defy, to ignore something that a person is saying, to fail deliberately to respond or to engage with someone or something. The dictionary also cited uh, a recent mention of the phrase in a Twitter post to show that it is still common use among Scots. Commenting on Scottish politics, a man from Glasgow posted, The party that's been listening to this electorate is definitely throwing a deafy. The dictionary says that the word deafy has in the past also been used as an offensive term for a deaf person. However, it is noted that deaf people had sought to reclaim the word in recent times uh, by using it to refer to themselves, which I think is really nice. I think that's a a really good term. You know, take it back. Take it back. Mm -hmm. Um, the entry stated, although originally uh, depreciative and still likely to cause offence, DEFI has increasingly been used frequently with a capital initial as a neutral or positive self-designation. Boyle, once dubbed Scotland's most violent man, was brought up in Glasgow Gorbals area and was jailed for the murder of fellow gangster Willie Babs Rooney in 1967. He turned to art while serving his sentence and became a famed sculptor and author upon his release of prison in 1980. His first memoir, A Sense of Freedom, was published in 1977 and later turned into a film as the same name starring Scots actor and Cosmo Sofa warrior David Heyman as Boyle. Uh, and yeah, we covered that in, uh, 90, yeah, I think episode, I can't remember, was 64, I think I said, of um, yeah. the Swally. So if you want to go back and listen to that, and if you want to watch A Sense of Freedom, highly recommend it. It was an incredible film. But yeah, there we go. You know, Jimmy Boyle getting a, a credit for adding a word to the Oxford English Dictionary. I mean, it's a real Glasgow uh, expression, I think, throwing somebody a deafy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard, like, some of my young nieces and nephews using the word. <laughs> it's quite oh, really? Yeah. Ah, I uh, wasn't familiar with it, to be honest. Yeah, it's very. It's a right west of Scotland term, I think. It's like, you know, they, there's deafy, there's empty. I've got an empty. My mum and they, or no, no so-and-so's, yeah. so-and-so's got an empty. Let's go around and piss in the fish tank and drink all our dad's booze. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but yeah, like a deafy. So I mean, so in the Oxford Dictionary, yeah. it's mm. in the Oxford English Dictionary. Deafy. So it's now a legitimate word on countdown. 
Right. I don't, I don't know how I feel about a word like deafy being, because like I always think of, you know, I think words like that I think of as, as slang. You know, they to to sort of legitimise them by putting them in a dictionary, sort of, it, they sort of lose their impact a bit. Yeah, but you get a lot of slang terms in a dictionary nowadays. I think they're, they're constantly adding words, and that's all you get nowadays, really. The only words that we add to our vocabulary mm. are slang terms or you know, yeah. um, text kind of like I'm sure LOL is probably in the dictionary. <laughs> well, it's, or, not, it's, you know, not, it's an abbreviation, the way LOL, isn't it? It shouldn't be in the dictionary. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point, actually. So maybe it's not. Um, I, all right. I can't think of an example right now, but I'm <laughs> sure there are other terms that have been spawned that are in yeah. the dictionary. But do you think, like, if you look up the word empty in the dictionary, it says, like, one, you know, whatever the definition of empty would be, two, somebody's got a Mum and dad are away for the night. <laughs> Maybe. You know what? When you're when you're telling us our next news story, I'm going to look that up in the online dictionary and see if there's a reference to that. Anyway, uh, congratulations to Jimmy Boyle. So, um, yeah, good luck. And, um, yeah, that's, that's you know, obviously he has got a, a lasting legacy in terms of, obviously, his crimes. But mm-hmm. as an artist and an author, and his film will be there forever. And now he's in the dictionary. I read one of his books uh, years and years and years ago. I can't remember what it's called, but it's about a criminal with learning difficulties and getting out of jail and going to the halfway house and readjusting that. But I seem to recall it was quite a good book, but I can't remember, I can't remember the no. name. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. I don't know that either. Um, okay, uh, just to get ahead. Um, empty, Oxford English Dictionary Definition. With no people or things inside. <laughs> people have things outside We've with no meaning not meaning what is said is the second definition a person or a person's life unhappy because life does not seem to have a purpose usually after something sad has happened that's yeah feeling empty um and then empty of something without a quality that you would expect to be there words that were of empty meaning there's no reference to someone's parents being away so they tear up and doing like a a glasgow version of project x i would (laughs) fucking love please actually you know what let's write a fucking glasgow version of project x And get that made, and we'll cover up this valley. So I'd fucking <laughs> love to see that. That'd be amazing. Yeah, Kevin Bridges has got a really good uh, bit in one of his early stand-ups about going an empty when he was younger. It's really funny. So mm. it's definitely worth watching. Ah, I'm disappointed that uh, Deffy has made the Oxford Dictionary, but that version of empty hasn't. That definition of empty hasn't been added. <laughs> well, if you write to the good people at the Oxford English Dictionary, maybe they'll rectify that in the next edition, Greg. I'll just write to Jimmy Boyle. He seems to have got. He seems to have a bit of sway over there. Yeah, but I, I don't think he had the first use of the term empty, did he? So <laughs> no. we'd have to find out where the first use of using empty in that way came from. And yeah. then we could use it. Anyway, uh, what else have you seen this week, Greg? Well, my next one is a, is a political story. Um, now, it comes from the Scottish Sun. Uh, everybody knows that the Sun is a Tory wankrag. Um, so <laughs> the uh, it's it's about the SNP, specifically, specifically Nicola Sturgeon. So, you know, they're kind of going for her a little bit. But the headline reads, Petty and Childish, Nicola Sturgeon and Top Aid Labelled Mean Girls. And there's... Uh, the Mean Girls logo is behind a picture of uh, Sturgeon and her and her aide. After they called Boris Johnson a fucking clown <laughs> in sweary messages. Um, 
And Nicola Sturgeon <laughs> and her top aide were last night accused of acting like mean girls in sweary messages where they slagged off Boris Johnson and plotted a bust-up on number 10. A senior Tory also branded the former First Minister and then Chief of Staff Liz Lloyd petty and childish after their WhatsApp chats were published at the UK COVID inquiry. They included Miss Sturgeon, or Ms Sturgeon rather, calling the XPM a fucking clown for announcing a second lockdown for England on a Saturday night. And Ms Lloyd said she wanted to set up a good old-fashioned rammy with the UK government over furlough (laughs) so she could think about something other than sick people. The former SNP leader then replied, Yeah, I get it. Last night, Scottish Conservatives' deputy leader, Megan Gallagher, said the extracts from their online pandemic chats showed the pair acting like Regina George and the plastics in Mean Girls. Does it? I don't think it does. Uh, she was referring to the US high school movie, which was remade this year. Um, but I think it's been remade as a musical. I don't think it's like... I think it's the musical that's going to be turned into a film, not the original Lindsay Lohan uh, movie. Mm. Um, she was referring to the US high school movie, uh, which features a bitchy queen bee and her clique of fawning cronies. <laughs> Miss Gallagher added, It's pathetic and shameful that as the death toll mounted, yeah, because of your fucking party, Megan, their focus was on picking fights with the UK government. It wasn't just petty and childish, it was disgusting. Uh, The SNP's blast came after the hearing in Edinburgh was shown behind the scenes online chats, online chats rather, not chaps, uh, between Ms Sturgeon and Ms Lloyd, including them mulling over what to do about pandemic restrictions. In one of their conversations from Saturday, October the 31st, 2020, Ms Sturgeon branded the UK government's handling of a second lockdown as fucking excruciating. Uh, It came as Mr Johnson made the announcement for England only in a primetime telly statement. A WhatsApp text from Ms Lloyd to Ms Sturgeon at 6.40pm that night said, hitting the 15 minutes between the rugby and Strictly to lock the country up. Let us never do it like this. (laughs) Raging at the PM, Ms Sturgeon added, his utter incompetence in every sense is now offending me on behalf of politicians everywhere. He is a fucking clown. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so um, yeah I'm not going to do the whole article but uh, Hamza Youssef current first minister hits back that he rejects the charge in its entirety he knows the motivation every step of the way was to ensure that the country the people of the country were kept safe Um, but uh, Jenny Godley uh, sorry Jenny Godley she sort of got a little flush of fame during the pandemic as Mm. you probably know because when she was sort of overdubbing Nicola Sturgeon's sort of pandemic responses. So she yeah. <laughs> she released a video the other day, <laughs> which maybe we could post a link to on Twitter. And it's um it's her doing Sturgeon, but Sturgeon stood at the podium saying, Yeah, we did call uh Boris Johnson a fucking clown. <laughs> but we also called him a shit rat, a dos cunt. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just lists all these like uh <laughs> Really, really sort of West of Scotland uh, expletives and, and sort of names for someone. So it's, it, if you've not seen it, it's definitely worth uh, a few minutes of your time. It really made me chuckle yesterday. So yeah, I guess the post-mortem of the pandemic continues. Everybody looking to point fingers and and, uh, and and everything else. I think most people just want to forget all about it and go on with their lives. But it's just one of them, isn't it? If it wasn't for the pandemic, arguably there might not be a culture swally. So That's a very good point, actually, yeah. Every cloud. Uh, yeah, very good that. point, yeah. yeah. 
Every cloud. Let's be honest, did she say anything wrong? <laughs> like, you know, I don't think she did. It's just, I mean, I remember, I remember Frankie Boyle <laughs> describing, um, describing Boris Johnson as a malevolent honey monster. <laughs> <laughs> years and years and years ago, uh, when he, I think he was still the, I think it was when he was the mayor, he was the mayor of London. Uh, Frankie Boyle's got a, a fantastic turn of phrase when it comes to uh, roasting. Someone. I think I've told this um, on the Swally before, but that is probably apart from um, Tony Roper talking about touch the dog's airs. I think it's, <laughs> it's one of my second favourite moments of off the ball was Tam Cowan quick as a flash when Pat Nevin was on and he was saying that he was at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant one night and ordered this bottle of wine and the bottle of wine came and the the picture of the woman on the front of the bottle of wine looked exactly like his wife. And he's like, it's it's just uncanny. And he's like, so I had to buy the bottle of wine and, you know, take it home because it just, the picture just looked so much like my wife. I couldn't believe it. And Tam Cowan just quick as a flash because I had exactly the same thing happen, but I was in the supermarket <laughs> in the cereal aisle and it was a box of sugar puffs. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Always stuck with me. Fucking hilarious. Um, but yeah, look, um, yeah, the pandemic obviously still hangs over us. As you say, it was a, a bit of a wild time and it was a lot of stuff. And there has been a lot of shit kind of slung around recently as the, these investigations have been going on. And I think there is some sort of murky stuff going on with like deleted WhatsApp messages. Um, but we're not that type of podcast. So we're not going to delve yeah. deep into that. We just want to talk about the fact that Sturgeon has <laughs> fucking been abusing <laughs> Boris Johnson and calling him names. Good on you, Jimmy Cranky. Fucking amazing. <laughs> I just like the I just like the sort of pathetic reaction of Megan Gallagher. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just because she calls Boris Johnson a fucking clown in one message, she gets compared to like a group of characters in a movie who are essentially school bullies and you know what yeah. I mean, the campaigns against other kids and all that sort of so, stuff. Yeah. Thinks Nicola's going home and writing in her burn book every night yeah. about Boris. Like she's going down to Westminster and fucking taking his dinner money off him and flushing his head down the <laughs> toilet. I mean that I mean if he is getting his head down flushed down the toilet, it might account for that fucking ridiculous haircut that he fucking cuts about the <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's um, a little bit insane. Yeah, you'd think you would kind of get that sort of, but never mind. It is kind of a slip. Yeah, Mr. Whippy. <laughs> Mr. Whippy. <laughs> Belivalent hurry monster. I'll never not laugh at that. Anyway, that was my second story this week. Which your next my one? next story is not really a massive news story. And the only reason I'm kind of covering this on the episode is, in fact, there's two reasons. One, it's been a pretty slow couple of weeks for news and funny items. Uh, but two... It is quite relevant to what we're going to be talking about after this news story. So this is an article from the Scottish Sun this week, who you've just abused, Greg. So I hope they don't cut us off because we get quite a lot of articles from there. <laughs> um, and it is about Peter Capaldi, who we are going to be talking about at length, I think, very shortly. So Peter Capaldi has said that people finally know how to pronounce his surname thanks to his namesake, Lewis. That's not his namesake, Lewis, is it? But I guess it's his surname, but you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, The actor said, thank God for Lewis Capaldi, because it has brought an end to years of him having to correct people. Now, this article kind of blew my mind in a way, but is it because we're Scottish? Because I just, I've never 
mm. not thought. But let me go into a little bit more detail. Uh, the Doctor Who and Thick of It star. That's odd. That's the two things they've gone for rather than yeah. soft top, hard shoulder and comfort and joy. Uh, no, not comfort and joy. Local oh, hero. He, he was a local hero. That's what I'm thinking of. Although he was credited in Comfort and Joy as Ice Cream Advisor. Um, <laughs> the Which we'll come to you later on. Uh, the Doctor Who and Thick of It star stressed that his surname should be said like Pal, like Capaldi, yeah. rather than with a pool, like Capuldi. Capuldi. Now, but I, I, that blew my mind reading that. Like, how did some people reference? But then is that is that more of an a, a Capaldi, Capuldi? I, I don't know. Like, it, it, I read this article and it just kind of blew my mind. Like, eh? Why would anyone <laughs> pronounce it Capuldi? Capaldi, 65, said that chart-topping Lewis also pronounces his surname the same way. Well, I'd hope so. It's the same surname. And yeah. inform people, uh, and inform people how to say it correctly when he appeared on the radio with BBC Two radio host Joe Wiley speaking on the "Where There's a Will, There's a Wake" podcast. Capaldi said, "Capaldi, that's wrong. It's <laughs> Capaldi." I've had so many palavers about it. I get so exhausted doing it. Thank <laughs> God for Lewis Capaldi. I got a phone call. I was at dinner one night, and it was from Joe Wiley. And she said, Lewis Capaldi is coming on. Is it Capaldi or Capaldi? I didn't get the message until after dinner because I was talking. <laughs> but she went on air and called him Capaldi. And Lewis said, no, it's Capaldi. And she said, no, Peter Capaldi said it's Capaldi. It's easy to remember because I'll be your pal if you call me Capaldi. <laughs> uh, Peter and Lewis are related with the Doctor Who actor being second cousin to the singer's dad, Mark. So yeah, very interesting in terms of uh, mispronunciation. I, I don't get that. Capaldi. How, why would you ever think it was Capaldi? It's just, it's obviously Capaldi. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 spelled sort of phonetically. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's not difficult to say it. Fucking these English guys. Just... <laughs> like, my name's not Nick Key. Yeah. Well, it is Nick Key, but you know what I mean? Like, I, like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's weird, but I, I don't get the Puldi. It's just odd. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I would have thought more of Joe Wiley, to be honest. I've, I've for many years, respected Joe Wiley. So I used to like her new music show on Radio 1 back in the day. But uh, and I thought she would have managed to get Capaldi. It's not like, like Peter Capaldi has just come on the scene anyway. He's been on for fucking years. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. Mm. Like, because Louis Capaldi is what? Quite, mm, what we're talking last, maybe five years that he's been on the scene. But Capaldi... Like, the thick of it is probably, what, like, 15, 16 years old? Well, like started in 2005, so it's almost 20 years old. And that know. was, I mean, he was obviously famous. We're going to talk about that later, Rob. But he was famous before then, but that was probably what kind of massively, mm. like, shot him into the stratosphere. Yeah. And everyone surely knew it was Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. I mean, God knows how they would pronounce the creator of that show's name, you know, Armando Iannucci. Like, how (laughs) (laughs) would they? They're going to really struggle with that. But again, another um, famous Scottish um, Italian. But I wonder if that's why. I never thought about that. I wonder if that's why he passed Capaldi, because they're both Scottish Italians. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, possibly. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I think uh, Iannucci's from Glasgow. So they, they probably yeah. moved. They, I imagine they probably moved in the sort of same circles because I think they're in, I think they're sort of peers. You know? Yeah. So yeah. So that's probably why. But yeah. Fucking useless. I mean. Um, yeah. And why would you, if you've got Lewis Capaldi coming on your show and you're not sure how to pronounce his surname, why would you phone Peter Capaldi and leave a message rather than when Lewis comes in, just say to Lewis, just want to check Lewis, how do you pronounce your surname? 
like properly. Like surely that would be a lot simpler. Well, than... I mean, if if Joe Wiley has got his personal fucking phone number to be able just to ring him up and ask him how to say his name, you would think he should know what how to say his fucking name. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. I agree. I thought better of Joe Wiley. Um, yeah. Always been a big fan, but um, it's down yeah. there, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Sort yourself out, Joe. For fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, to be a really two percenter. Come on. <laughs> Shocking. You'll be, in, you'll be a mate. You'll be on six music before you know it. But that sort of thing. <laughs> I was thinking about like Radio Devon or something. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, that is um, the story of Peter Capaldi, who I think we're going to be talking about at length very shortly. Um, have you seen anything else in the news, Greg? Nope, that's that's your lot. Great. Well, if you've seen anything in the news that you would like us to cover, or if you have anything that you'd like us to cover on the Culture Swally, you can get in touch with us on cultureswally at gmail.com or follow us on the socials. We're on Insta at cultureswallypod or X, formerly known as Twitter, at swallypod. Right, Greg, before we go on to what we're going to be talking about today, let's have a little word from our sponsors. And our sponsor is, of course, Doric Skateboards, a skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp, whose main focus is to explore the people and the culture of Aberdeen and the northeast of Scotland, and to create designs that reflect life in that area. Doric Skateboards screen print their own decks in their studio by Gary's fair hand, and they have produced some amazing designs over the years, including an Annie Lennox-inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck, and a plenty of pop deck inspired by the old Bonacord trucks that used to drive around Aberdeen delivering fizzy drinks. Doric skateboards also replicate these amazing designs onto clothing on 100% organic cotton tees, hoodies, sweatshirts, and you can also fill your boots on stickers, pin badges, beanies, and caps. Gary regularly collaborates with local artists to ensure that he brings the latest designs to the market, but always with a Doric twist, including the Ballater toy shop design, inspired by Scotland the What, which we actually need to cover quite soon, Greg. So check out Doric Skateboards for yourself on doricskateboards.com and you can follow them on Instagram at Doric Skateboards to see all the amazing designs on offer. And we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast. All you need to do is head to DoricSkateboards.com, have a look at all the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies and tees on offer and enter the promo code SWALLY. That's S-W-A-L-L-Y, same as the name of this podcast, and get your 15% off. That's DoricSkateboards.com, link in the description of this episode. So, uh, it was your turn to choose our content for this week, Nikki. So why don't you introduce this week's film? Thank you, Greg. So today we are looking at a listener recommendation, which came from Strong Henry, everyone's favourite Canadian baker. Uh, we are covering the 1992 film, directed by Stefan Schwartz and written by and starring Peter Capaldi, Soft Top, Hard Shoulder. Having failed to make it in London as a comic book artist, Gavin Bellini played by Capaldi, an Italian Glaswegian from an ice cream dynasty reluctantly yields to his uncle's demands that he returns home for his dad's 60th birthday party, if he makes it. The uncle, played by Richard Wilson, may give him a share of the family fortune. But as he heads north in his worn-out Triumph convertible, Gavin meets countless obstacles. When the car breaks down, hitchhiker Yvonne, played by Elaine Collins, who is Peter Capaldi's wife, helps to get it going. But Gavin soon tires of her company. Worse, he loses his wallet, and then the progress becomes even slower. Will Gavin reach the party on time? So, you mentioned to me on the last episode, Greg, when I suggested it, that you had never seen Soft Top Hard Shoulder, and I had never seen it until 
Henry recommended it, but I watched it over Christmas. What did you make of it? I mean, I had never even heard of this film until we did uh, Local Hero, and I was having a look at Peter Capaldi's IMDb. Because I, I, f- I feel like, um, is Local Hero the only thing we've done with Peter Capaldi in it up until now, apart from... Uh, no, we've we did. Um, oh God, what was the? Oh Jesus, um, what's the name of the? Um, uh, with David Morrissey and Ford Kiernan. Oh, a touch of field of field of blood. Field of blood. Of course, yes. yeah, um, we've had Capaldi on field of blood. Yes. Okay, we'll have to do the second one of them soon. Um, yes. Yeah, look, you know, I uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I love Peter Capaldi. Um, yeah. I you know I just think he's fantastic. You know, the I mean, Malcolm Tucker must be one of my favourite characters in anything. I think it's mm. just brilliantly, yeah. brilliantly realised character. So it was good. To, I mean, I've not seen a lot of the younger Capaldi on the screen. I don't think, and mm-hmm. what I've watched, probably only really local hero. Um, so to see him a bit younger and in, in a film like this, which is it's it's a pretty feel good film. You know, it's like an easy mm. it's an easy watch. Um, it's not it's not necessarily a particularly original sort of premise, but you know, it's it's. It's well directed. It's it's well acted. I think Capaldi is in every scene. Is there any scenes that he's not in? I think he's in the, every single scene. Oh no, there's one or two scenes when we just see um, when we just see Yvonne uh, for a moment yeah. or two. But they, for the most part, he's he's in the whole film. And yeah, I really really enjoyed it. Really really enjoyed it. Um, I I guess you enjoyed it too. No, I hated it. <laughs> uh, no, I I'd loved it. It it's just such a it it's right up my street because it's just kind of a nice gentle feel good film mm-hmm. and it's 90 minutes long which always helps yep. um was a fucking 2 hour 36 minute film last night and that um yeah. you know it was quite long but it's yeah it it, it kind of makes you feel good and i i like this type of film where nothing really happens but tells a story yeah. and and it's nice and it's very autobiographical and i, yeah. I watched an interview with capaldi and you know, he said, you know, of course, he's from Scottish-Italian ice cream family mm-hmm. descent, mm-hmm. and he was indeed a struggling artist when he was younger. Mm-hmm. So he he poured a lot of this, you know, his life into this script, and it shows a lot. And, you know, fair play to Capaldi, he wrote a, a charming film, which is basically about a character kind of trying to win over a woman in a way, which to a certain extent, you know, he's, he's played by his wife. So it yeah. he kind of wrote this almost as a love letter to her, potentially trying to woo her. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think, and also... The character he plays, Gavin, he's not a particularly likable character, though, is he? No, he's not. But he sort of, he sort of sorts himself out. I think, doesn't he? Like, you know, to, yeah. he, you know, he, he has, he has a an an epiphany which gives us like that really nice affirming ending. You know, he yeah. he 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 goes on a he goes on a on a literal journey. But he also goes on a bit of a spiritual journey and he's endeavours to get from London to Glasgow in time for the birthday party and, and get and get the money off his uncle. Um you know, he's, I, th- I, th- I think he sort of realizes that he's the problem, you know what I mean? As opposed to before that, you sort of get the impression that he feels a bit um hard done by because he's not able to sell any of his artwork. He's living with his he's renting a room in his mate's flat. He's got that ancient uh Triumph Herald that he's trying to he's trying to do the journey in. The um crazy horse, as he calls it. 
you know, and the, the, she sort of brings him to the realization that, uh, you know, maybe he's a problem and maybe if he makes some changes, things will start to work out for him. I think, and I can, you know, be open about this. I think I um, maybe saw a little bit of myself in terms of um, the Capaldi character because he, when you meet him in the beginning, you know, he's obviously kind of downtrodden and put upon mm. and because life's not working out for him. Yeah, yeah. And things gone to shit and he's gone to London to try and work as this struggling artist and thinking he's going to make it big but it's not working out and summed up in the one of the opening scenes when he goes to to sell his his book to pumpkin books his book about a magic shoe yeah <laughs> which is very violent that the foot gets cut off and but 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 she boils it you know before she eats it because you know um but they're talking about miss prickywinkle and um, they want something less perverse. And of course, the, the, the aggression comes out when he comes out and tells yeah. the animal rights collector to fuck off. <laughs> and he's eating porridge at home and you can tell he's really struggling. However, the first glimpse that you think, actually, okay, he's not a bad guy is when uh, John, his effectively his landlord, mm-hmm. says, and you know, John seems like a nice guy, kind of look, like, I know you can't pay the rent this month. It's fine, yeah. but I will need something soon. And Gavin goes and sells his camera and immediately gives the money to John. And you think, okay, he's realized that he he needs to do something and fix this. So, you know, rather than just being like, yeah, I'll pay you later or something will turn up and, and leave it for a month, he, he does take affirmative action. And is that the right phrase to use, actually? Um, he does take action, though, and sells his camera to get money and, and, and pays him. So you, you do think, okay, he is a goodish guy. He does have the kind of uh, the right morals. But then obviously he meets his uncle Salvatore and you kind of think he, he's just in this for the money. But I agree, as the film progresses, he does go on a journey and he, he kind of realizes that he needs to maybe open up more and yeah. not not let life beat him down and just live in the moment and just do what's right and yeah and, and and I think it is a beautiful story and I think I've maybe I fell in love with this because I've watched it at the the time of my life that I'm going through mm. that it, it kind of meant a lot to me yeah, and, yeah. and I I really resonated with Gavin in a way and like the story he went through yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah for sure and I think you know because of the autobiographical elements that he's put into you know I think he's he's obviously written Gavin as a sort of exaggerated version of himself or of the person that he was at a time in his life you know it's a very intuitive uh sort of performance i thought that uh i mean if i was going to be critical of the film and it's not really a criticism but it felt like you know they've got the critics there's the, the chris Rea soundtrack and, mm. and it felt a wee bit you know like when we did local hero i think we did restless natives right after local hero and obviously local hero has the big successful uh mark knopfler soundtrack mm. and then mm. restless natives has the the big country uh, soundtrack, and then yeah. this has got a soundtrack by Chris Rea. Not quite as catchy <laughs> as uh, Big Country and B- Big Country's uh, music and Restless Natives and Mark Knopfler's music and um, Local Hero. I thought. I think you can see though the the huge influence that Local Hero mm. had on this film in terms of a lot of the 
comedy is is quite similar and then of course i mean you couldn't get more obvious than having the rabbit in the road at one point yeah. and the red phone box isolated on this yeah. place like it, it's oh. it's dripping in in kind of bill forsyth and in a way i did write down in my notes like is this just a bit of a, a cheap bill forsyth knockoff but it's not i i think it's a homage yeah in i a way, think so yeah to, a tribute to bill forsyth and obviously yeah a tribute because capaldi was obviously influenced by it and i think it's only natural that at the time this was written and made that he was probably heavily influenced by Bill. Mm. And you can't capture the, you know, Bill Forsyth is a once in a generation kind of yeah, film. Yeah, for sure. Like, there's, there's no one like him because his films are just incredible. Yeah. But I, I can see where it was going and it, that's probably why he picked, like, Chris Rea to yeah, do yeah. the the music thinking, right, okay, so Bill, yeah, got Mark Knopfler, so, um, okay, <laughs> Yeah, let's yeah. um, yeah. Chris Rea. Yeah? yeah, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's. I guess we'll. It's a bit of a strange one. I mean, Peter Capaldi is he's one of those people that I would love to sort of meet and uh, talk to for a bit. I I watched them on because I watched this film's available on YouTube and that's where I watched it. Although I will say it's not a great, uh, <laughs> not great, terrible quality, not great quality on YouTube. <laughs> um. So maybe try and find it elsewhere if you can. But um, because I'd watched it, I'm now getting lots of Peter Capaldi in my YouTube feed. And there was one from a few years ago. So obviously, famously, he played Doctor Who for a few years. And there's a YouTube, mm. there's a YouTube channel called our program series, whatever, called the Doctor Who Fan Show. And he was on that. And he famously, Capaldi was grew up as a fan of Doctor Who. And I think, I think every now and again. Uh, a letter that he wrote to Doctor Who magazine is 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 sort of dug up and discussed. So he's talking about what it means to be a Doctor Who fan. But I didn't realise what a talented artist Peter Capaldi was. And I obviously yeah. knew he was a fantastic actor. Um, and I knew that he was also quite an accomplished musician as well. So as he's discussed, so he talks about the first three Doctor Who's. So William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee. But as he's talking about them, and he's talking about his memories of watching them on the screen. He draws them like he draw, and it's 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 sort of like a, a, a kind of sort of caricature sort of style. But hmm. um, and he draws them like really quickly. You know what I mean? It's like it's like when and it's maybe not a good comparison to make, but when when Rolf Harris would draw like Bugs Bunny or something on the page before <laughs> he introduced the cartoon. It's, it's I know it's not a great comparison, but it's it's. <laughs> But it's like that, and he's he's talking about his memories of watching these guys on the screen, and uh, the drawings are fantastic. I, I I wonder where they are because and the thing is, he actually he draws them in pencil. He he really actually he does like the first four doctors. I tell a lie, he does goes right up to Tom Baker. So he draws them in pencil, and then he he goes over them in like black pen. But when he draws Tom Baker, because they're running out of time. He said, "Oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it with the marker. I'm not going to do it in pencil. I, I might regret, mm. I, I might regret this." He said, "But he said, but I must have drawn Tom Baker about a million times when I was a kid, so I can draw him from memory." Um, yeah, it was astonishing, astonishingly. Uh, I had no idea, like I had no idea what a good artist he was. Yeah, I think he, yeah, very talented artist and a singer as well. Mm-hmm. He, he does have a an album. Yeah, yeah. That I need to um to listen to. I don't know if it's as good as Lewis, but we'll find out. But at least people know to how to pronounce his name. Um, I'm not gonna pretend that this is just coming in my head because I 
I have been just reading his wiki as you were talking there. I was listening, yeah, of course. Yeah. But um, yeah, we, we have covered him in something else as well. Yeah, that I totally forgot. Yeah, the Crow Road. Played, yeah, yeah, Rory and the Crow Road. Yeah. Um, I think for me, as you mentioned, and we've talked about this before, he will always be Malcolm Tucker. And I think I'll put the clip in. You know, the, the when he rips the absolute arse out of Rory um, or. The guy, the guy with the just, ginger hair. Yeah, when he yeah <laughs> but, says he will we, play Bohemian Rhapsody yeah, on his, yeah, like, his bones, but he says, I think he says he says I'm going to rip, rip your skin off and wear it to your mum's birthday party <laughs> <laughs> whilst whistling Bohemian Rhapsody and <laughs> rubbing myself against her leg. <laughs> Something like that. I think my um my favorite um one of my favorite parts though has to be his um his description of Star Wars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the wee guy with a he's got a, a pedal bin and <laughs> guy covered in gold and <laughs> like just absolute genius writing. But Capaldi just plays it so well. And I like I never watched him in Doctor Who. I um I'll be honest, I watched Christopher Eccleston and then I kind of phased out of the David Tennant. I think I watched David Tennant's run, but then I, I stopped watching it when Matt Smith started. And I've never watched it since, apart from the Christmas Day episodes that we were um yeah. texting about and then kind of zoned out of that as well. But um yeah. I might go back and revisit and watch Capaldi as Doctor Who because I admire him so much as an actor. Yeah, that, it's good. And 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 I have read a, in doing research for this, I've read a lot. He's a lot of people's, he's not favourite. David Tennant is pretty much everyone's favourite mm. Doctor Who. I, mean, I guess a new generation now, you know, if you'd gone back previous years, I'm sure it would have been Tom, Tom Baker, Baker yeah. or um, or uh, John Pertwee. Or, um, but there's a lot of love for Capaldi's Doctor. And I think it's because he brought the Capaldiness to it, yeah. if that makes sense. Like a kind well, of like downbeaten, kept his accent. aggressive. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, true. Officially, um, you know. But just kind of a bit of a, you know, um, the gallows humour, kind of Scottish bitingness to it. And I think that comes across a lot in the script as well. There's a lot of sarcasm yeah. in, and, and Scottish kind of feeling in this um, in this film, which I think really adds to it and makes it. And, and you know, there's a lot of obscure humour, which again is very Bill Forsyth-esque, but it works here. Yes, I mean, I love, um, I love the wee scene setter at the beginning of the film when he talks about his grandfather coming over from Italy and he'd meant to go to America, but he ended up in Scotland by mistake, but just pretended he was in America for the rest of his life. It just, it just really made me laugh. <laughs> The, the bit in that scene that makes it for me, though, is that it pops up of a photo of five boys. And he's, well, it, he explains that his, um, his grandfather married a Scottish woman. She never learned a word of Italian. And then this photo of five boys popped up. And she goes, maybe she should have learned the word no. Yeah. And, <laughs> which kind of, you know, sets the tone of the film. But yeah, I thought that was a really nice scene setter. And then Gavin, obviously, you see him in London being downtrodden, and then bumps into his uncle Salvatore, played by Richard Wilson, yeah. who obviously we had, well, we didn't have on last episode, but you know, covered we, him, we yeah. covered him on the last episode. Again, he's only in the two scenes, really, but he's brilliant in this and just dripping, you know, he delivers a beautiful line because he's down in London for the Ice Cream Awards. Yeah. And he says, Yeah, we never win. The only thing I leave the hotel with is the towels. <laughs> and. <laughs> Don't believe this. What are you doing in London? 
flying visit. Hope the big bird yesterday. It was the awards last night. Usual display of naked ambition. Right, the Academy of Ice Cream Traders Awards. Ah, the excuse for a piss up in a night in a flashy hotel, everyone bitching about the winners. It's time they all grew up and realised that awards mean absolutely nothing. We've been nominated four times now, you know. Yeah? Never won a wafer. I'll ever leave that hotel with his towels. <laughs> Such a wonderful line. It's the way Wilson delivers it. It's like we discussed when we did Tutti Fruity in the last episode. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, Miss Tora, you'll be getting your jotters. Yeah. But he's just yeah. the way he delivers the line of, oh, I leave the hotel yeah. with is the towels. I know. I know. <laughs> What's her name? Glynis. Glynis, it's Glenda. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's really good. And, you know, I was thinking to myself watching that, I've not seen uh, Richard Wilson in anything new for a long time. And I thought, has oh, he maybe has he maybe passed away? And it's and, it, and I've not realised, but I, he hasn't. I think he's just, I don't know if he's just sort of slowing down a wee bit because he's, you know, he's, he's a good age now. I mean, I was looking him up on IMDb last week and for this as well. And his last entry uh, was last year. He was on Ant and oh, Dick's yeah. Saturday Night Takeaway. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah, I think he's just slowed down. And I think, obviously, it's difficult for him in a way, probably, because he had such an iconic role for so long. Yeah. And I think it's difficult for anyone to see him as anyone apart from Victor Meldrew he used to, nowadays. He used to be on a, a sitcom that I used to like when I was really young, uh, like a kid, called uh, Only When I Laugh. Uh, James Botham in it. Mm. It was set on a sort mm. of men's ward of a hospital, and like James Botham played a mm. sort of malingerer, and uh, Richard Wilson played the doctor or one of the doctors. I used to really like it. Yeah. I used to really enjoy it only when I laugh. I had a really good, a really good theme tune as well. I remember that. I I do vaguely remember that, yeah. and I might. I I think I'm going to end up going and watching that yeah. because I love James Botham. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. I do remember watching that when I was younger. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely going to revisit that. Um, but I think he's not afraid to, you know, set, like make fun of himself. I think, I think famously, the episode of Father Ted that he's in mm. playing himself is fantastic. And, yeah. you know, it's just set up perfectly when Dougal's like, oh, go on, he'd love it. Go on. I bet no one ever says it to him. <laughs> That's <right. laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> just goes fucking mental at Ted. Yeah. <laughs> well, he. Uh, but the thing is, like you know, so when when he when he did this, he was a couple of years into his time as uh, Victor Meldrew. So and mm. you know, like as you said, he's you know he's only he's only in like two pretty quick scenes, and and mm. one of the scenes we don't even hear him talk. He's um, mm. it's just it's just the music over the top of everyone talking to each other. Um, so I wonder. I was I thought to myself, you know, has he done it as a sort of favour for Peter Capaldi? You know, did they maybe know each other mm. and stuff like that? And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll come and do a couple of days on your film. You know, probably I'd imagine so. And he d- delivers a wonderful line when they're having the the dinner, and um, he's trying to convince him to to obviously come up for his dad's sixtieth birthday. Um, when he speaks about selling the family business and having this inheritance money, and he's like, "I'm the oldest now. I'm the capo." Yeah. And he's <laughs> love the kind of Italian mafia reference yeah. there. Of like, okay, I guess it never leaves you. Although you were born in Scotland and raised in Scotland, but still has uh, the "I'm the capo," which I think was great. Yeah. And of course, the I mean, the other main character in the film is Avon, played by um, Elaine Collins, mm. who. Um, went on to become Capaldi's wife. No, they were, they and were married already. It says on his wiki they got married. They, they were married. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think they got married in 91. Mm. This came out in 92. Yeah. A couple of stuff I've read is that his future wife. So I don't know if maybe they filmed this. Maybe. Or he'd, he'd maybe written this before. Like, obviously, he would have written this before they got married. But, um, but yeah, his wife. And she's great. I mean, she hasn't got a huge amount of acting credits. But she is great as a Vaughn. And a wonderful, not foil, but a, a love interest for Gavin. And kind of yeah. puts him right. And... Her acting can maybe a little bit wooden at times, I would say, but she's an intriguing character. And, you know, after about 20 minutes of meeting her, you find out she's got this envelope full of money. So you're instantly intrigued thinking, what's her story? Yeah. Like, there has to be a backstory with her. We know Gavin's backstory, but we know all about Gavin, but we don't know anything about Yvonne. And I think they do that really well in terms of you want to know what's going on with her and what her story is. Because she keeps mentioning this guy Archie and like, who's who's he? But I, I thought they did that pretty well. There's something really familiar uh, about her uh, as, of, mm. as a Vaughn. You know what I mean? I th- I, again, I think, she, you know, I don't know. She is a wee bit, she's a wee bit wooden, I suppose, here and there. But mm. it's a pretty, it feels quite honest. You know, I, I, I wonder if there's a lot of acting required, really, if that's just the sort of person she is, you know, perhaps. Mm. Um that, you know, because she sort of she sort of starts off um, like she doesn't like almost like she's quite naive and um, you know she believes because Gavin does so she, <laughs> she she fixes Gavin's car and uh, he uh, originally is just going to leave her on the road but then decides to take her along you know um, and but she seems to like just completely buy his stories about how he's he's just spoken to his mother and he needs you know and all this kind of thing but then later on she sort of calls him out and she sort of you, you kind of get the, the feeling that well maybe she's maybe she wasn't that naive in the beginning you know what I mean maybe mm-hmm. she's she could see exactly what he was like but then you know she starts to get a bit annoyed with him later on and, and sort of calls him out for his behaviour do you know who I would have loved to, you know who I was I made a note here who I would have loved to have seen in the role of Yvonne Grogan who's that Grogan Grogan yeah yeah 92 she would have been yeah, what yeah, she'd have been in her early 30s yeah I think so she'd been old enough to do it yeah yeah. yeah, she would have been fantastic, actually. You're right. Not taking anything away from Elaine Collins, of course. No. But yeah, you're right. Grogan would have been fantastic in that role. Mm. That would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. Wow. And then that would have given another a Bill Forsyth link. So yeah. wonder if wonder if they tried to get Grogan. Well, no. Capaldi, obviously. He wrote it. So he would have been like adamant, like, no, my wife, yeah, my yeah. future wife, has to star in this. So, But you're right. Grogan would have been fantastic. Was- you're just saying that because you listened to Grogan recently. Yeah, that's true. And fell in love with her all over again yeah, in, that was- on the um, the Rock and Tours podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd, much, I'd, I'd enjoyed the Rock and Tours podcast a lot more if that fucking Guy Pratt wasn't on it. Gary, <laughs> honestly, just, I mean, just tries to be funny and all that. And he's just not funny. What was Grogan? doing then in 92 was she doing Red Dwarf in 92 or was that before she was Kowalski in Red, Red Dwarf wasn't she for a while yeah it would have been about that time I yeah. think Kachansky yeah Kachansky yeah. not Kowalski yeah um, would have been about that time I think yeah I was listening to some altered images this week after listening to the podcast they were a good band altered images you know they were, it wasn't just yeah it wasn't just a uh, happy birthday and I could be happy, happy. birthday yeah they got some good stuff on their albums so they did um, but yeah I think uh, like Elaine Collins does bring a lot to the role. Like there are like sweet moments in the car. The the travel suites versus normal suites <laughs> yeah. discussion is brilliant. I don't know why they call these travel suites. They're identical to ordinary suites. I don't suppose you 
does anybody would buy sweets called ordinary sweets. Ordinary sweets sound more reliable, don't you think? Travel sweets sound like you could open the tin one day and find out it all moved on. And it's true. Like, do you still get travel suites? Yeah, I do. I think you do. In terms of, yeah, if you yeah. go to like a petrol station, you'll find mm. travel suites. But yeah, what is the difference? But then you don't call them normal suites. But that's the kind of ridiculous conversations you would have in yeah. the car and the awkward kind of conversations. And it just works and makes sense. And my, um, my is all fine. My late grandfather always always had a tin of travel sweets in the glove box of his uh, Vada Riva, always. And they were always like the hard-boiled ones that had sort of ice and sugar. Well, it probably wouldn't have been ice and sugar, but yeah. the same sort of texture as ice and sugar, so your fingers, tips would be all yeah. white and stuff. But they would all... I know what you mean. They'd always, always be in there. Have you ever picked up a hitchhiker before? No, never. I would never mm. do that. No? Not a chance. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I remember when I lived in Barrow and Furnace, my dad used to uh, come down and pick me up and we'd drive back up to Glasgow up the M6 and M74. We'd often see people hitchhiking. And the only one I ever remember my dad picking up was, was a Navy, it was like a, it was a sailor, I guess. He was in his uniform. And my dad said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll pick him up because like, he's in his uniform and blah, blah, blah. And he, we didn't take him very far. I think he just wanted to go to the next uh, junction or something. But he gave me, um, he gave me a button, uh, the sailor guy that I think I've still got somewhere to sort of say thanks for picking him up so he's sort of young guy do you know what I mean but really smart Um, but yeah he's the only that's the only time I ever remember um, us picking up a hitchhiker my my, my dad was always you know if there's two of you in the car never pick up a hitchhiker because we've got to sit in the back and you don't know what they could be doing behind you but you know but uh, you know if if he's if you if you if you're by yourself, just make sure they sit in the passenger seat. <laughs> Say, okay, Dad. Yeah, I think <laughs> Rutger Hauer probably put me off ever picking up a hitchhiker. <sighs> such a, for life, you know? such a good film that. Such. Yes, yeah. Is, yeah. I, I might watch that tonight. Actually, yeah. such a good film. Um, yeah, and then uh, I mean, service stations. It's a wonderful scene mm. where Gavin is horrified that he's paying £7.20 for sausage and chips. And of course, it's back in 1992. That's extortionate yeah, it's ex- for sausage and chips. But yeah. then service stations always charge ridiculous prices. You're a, you're a captive audience, isn't it? I mean, you used to drive a fair bit, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. Like up and down the motorway. So d- have you got any service station memories? Well, the thing that the, the one thing that I always made sure of was that I would never have to stop at a motorway service system to put petrol in my car. But... Um, mm. Like, I became pretty familiar with almost every service station between Glasgow and Birmingham at one point um, when I was driving around a lot. But what I would tend to do is I knew that uh, Southwaite Services, which is not too far from the Scottish border, uh, always had, on the English side of the Scottish border, uh, they had a Greggs. So I would all, I would hmm. stop and I would always, because I was always, I don't want to hang around, you know what I mean? So I'd stop and go for a quick piss and then I would, uh, I would buy like a, a sandwich from Greg's that I could just eat as I was driving. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'd always I'd get home and my lap would be fucking covered in crumbs and everything. But um but yeah, they are. I mean they're mercenary bastards. I remember being in one and uh somebody had put I mean I guess the company had put a poster up saying um if you find anything or if you find this these services less than hygienic or spotless or whatever, please call the area manager. And then they had the area manager's mobile number on <laughs> the poster. And I thought Fuck that. You know, because you get people phoning you all the time. That's a phone you're never going to answer. You're just going to leave that on the side. You're never answering that phone. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh. uh, so, obviously, we have Wilson mm. Collins. 
Capaldi. Mm. But then there's so many amazing actors in small parts yeah. throughout the film. And just like, it's not a cameo. They, they do have lines in small parts. Like Simon Callow, Phyllis Logan, Francis Barber, and Scott Jones, and Clive Russell, yeah. like amongst many others. And all just brilliant little comedic parts. I mean, especially Phyllis Logan and, yeah. and Scott Jones. They both were just phenomenal. And Clive Russell. In fact, they were all brilliant. Simon Callow is fantastic as Eddie Tchaikovsky. This guy whose credit card they find and just the reveal he was like married to this or partner because I guess he wouldn't have been married because gay marriage wasn't allowed yeah. back then. But you know his partner was this guy that did balloon animals called was it Mr. Pickles? Yeah. And like it, it just again very Bill Forsyth-esque. These little random just characters that just have like a two minute scene but are almost unforgettable. Like, Phyllis Logan delivers one of the best lines of the film when she's talking about, and a serious subject, she's talking about how she suffered from depression. Yeah. And when she says, yeah, I used to work in a baby shop, sometimes I wanted to punch the wee bastards. <laughs> well, you know, things would really get me down. I used to work in this baby wear shop. <laughs> sometimes I'd really want to punch the wee bastards right in the face. So... Obviously, I had to sort that one out. Excuse me, will you deliver the car? Of course, sir. It's a privilege of our count holders. All part of the service. You'd have a brush up. No, 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 I don't mean that. I mean, will you deliver it? <laughs> Not me, personally, sir. But I'll make sure it's done. I'm hardly likely to forget you now, my Gareth. Gavin. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's really good. <laughs> Um, I've got a bit of a problem with Simon Cavill. Okay. Uh, so an old boss of mine uh, used to work in a hotel, like quite a nice hotel years ago, and apparently he was a guest there once, and he was, according to her, he was an absolute cunt to all the staff. Oh, really? And apparently he left his room in a right mess. Like, sort of like, yeah, I won't go into the detail in case he listens and he <laughs> takes a libel case out against us in case it's not true. But um, but yeah, she said he was... Did he did he shit in the bath? Not the bath. <laughs> oh, fuck, fuck's sake, I was like... <laughs> um, but I'm presuming not the toilet either. <laughs> no. Uh, well, maybe not. Maybe it may not have been him. It might have been his... Uh, his companion, perhaps I don't know, but um, but yeah, I don't. But then this is like sick. <laughs> I just got to say that I don't know if that's true. It could not. It might not be true. Um, but she told us about it one night. We're having a glass of wine after work. But like for Simon Cavill, this was like a year before four, a year before four weddings and a funeral, which arguably, yeah, uh, like a lot of those actors, like John Hanna, um, even Hugh, even Hugh, yeah. even Hugh Grant, you know, like all mm-hmm. all those actors all sort of launched fairly successful uh, to varying degrees careers off the back of it. And like when I saw Simon Callow's name in the credits, I thought he would be in it a lot more. Well, when I saw Richard Wilson's name in the credits, I thought he'd be in it a lot more as well. Um, I didn't realise that it would just be like a fairly quick scene. He's on the cover of the DVD. Like yeah. it's, you know, it's it's quite a, I think he's the third credited cast member of Richard Wilson so you think okay but I guess it's probably because One Foot in the Grave was on at the time and he was it was a draw a big yeah yeah. I can only imagine that but you're right Simon Callow yeah Four Weddings did really make a lot John Hanna we need to do more with John Hanna um, on the Swally because he's great yeah he's a great actor like John Hanna um, I- I'll always remember how do you feel about I mean it's not Scottish but how do you feel about Four Weddings and a Funeral I like it I remember um I mean, they, they, I saw it because 
when I was at school in Aberdeenshire, they used to do, just before the summer holidays, they did these activities days, and it was, some things were like hanging about at school, just doing bits and bobs, or depending on what you could go, there was a couple of like overnight trips, and uh, I managed to persuade my mum to let me go on the Glasgow trip, <laughs> which was mental, because I was going to Glasgow like the following week, but it was me, my friend Barry Willocks, my friend James and James White and my friend David Henderson and the rest of the people in the trip were girls. So it was just us four boys and all these girls. I mean, I would love to tell you it was like carry on school trips. It wasn't like nobody got a sniff, um, but uh, no smelly fingers, <laughs> but it was good fun. But they took us to see four weddings and a funeral uh, the second night. Um, and then because we would have been about maybe 17, 16, 17. And obviously the first the first word in four wins in a funeral is fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh. And then there's like a there's like this sort of sex scene when Hugh Grant's hiding under the bed and the guy off the, mm. the guy off the thin blue line is uh uh okay. yeah, it's like they're they're like shagging. Um but yeah no I like it. It's uh you know it's 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 sort of like this in a way, you know, it's I know that it was a bit of a phenomenon at the time with the wet 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 song and everything else and but uh you know it's a bit like this film and that it's you know, it sort of works out well, there's some funny moments. The characters are all likable, you know, even the ones that you're not mm. really supposed to like are likable, you know. And uh you sort of want everything to work out for them. So um yeah. Well, how do you feel about Four Wins in a funeral? I, I will never forget that film as long as I live for the pure reason that it came out it, it was the summer of 94, and the reason I remember this is very specific, because I would have only been 13 at the yeah. time, and my mum, my sister, and I, and my sister's like 13 years old than me, so she would have she'd have been like 26. Um, it was a Saturday night, and we were, went to the Odeon. Oh, yeah. Uh, on when Melbourne, corner of Holborn Street, yeah, yeah Melbourne, uh, Justice, Justice Melbourne Lane, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, to watch four weddings, uh, got our tickets, and then we're walking in, and the female usher, who was like in her forties, stopped us and went, "How old's the boy?" And my mum went, "Nearly 15. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, why, <laughs> why would you say that? So. We didn't get in. Aww. We had to go and... Because, well, obviously she told her yeah. nearly 15. So I wasn't 15. So I didn't get in to see it. So we ended up, like, going home. Um, but then I always remember that night because I went home and it was World Cup. That's why I remember it was the summer because it was USA 94. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. I came home upset that, like, oh, I didn't get to go and see the film. I feel bad. Like, yeah. being, mm, fuck it, I'm only 13. Um, and it was Argentina against Nigeria, and that was the game that Maradona like scored those goals and then ran up to the camera with like fucking coke bogies in his <laughs> nostrils, like screaming at the camera. I remember watching that. I'll always remember that day as long as I live. Um, so yeah, I didn't get to see it until later on, and yeah, like I, I'm not a fan of kind of romantic comedies in a yeah. way. Although we're speaking about one technically in a way, yeah. but um. It, yeah, I, I I don't mind Four Wins and Funeral, actually. Mm. It's it's quite a good film. It's it's funny, it's clever, it has its moments. Yeah. But yeah, I don't want to... You know, it's better than Notting Hill or Love Actually or any of that shite. But um, yeah, <laughs> don't mind Four Wins. My, my dad, you know, did exactly the same thing when him and I went to see Look Who's Talking. Because Look, Who, <laughs> Look Who's Talking was a 12. And uh, okay. when we were buying the tickets, the guy selling the tickets said, uh, how old is uh, how old is he? And my dad said, uh, oh, he's nearly 12. And the guy said, well, he's, but he's got to be 12 to, it's a 12 film, he's got to be 12 to see it. My dad said, well, he's 12 then. <laughs> and the guy, <laughs> he 
the guys just sold us the tickets and we went in and watched it. We've often spoke about the fucking Jedi powers your dad had. Like, a, oh, fucking, I, I can imagine that. I'll just never forget my mum, nearly 15. Oh, yeah, well, he's not 15. Fuck off. Anyway, um, I, I was trying to sort of work out the geography on the journey um, yeah. because they, they stop at the seaside. They, where, where they meet Simon Carlo's character is, the, uh-huh. is the seaside. But if you're driving from London to Glasgow, you're going to go probably M1, A1, mm-hmm. Scotch Corner, M74, or and they should go up the M... About the services that he stops at where he gets... He gets fucking ripped off for the sausage and chips it's obviously Birmingham because they're all talking with, Bur- with sort of Brummy accents which would suggest that yeah. he's, would suggest that he's gone up the M6 um, so if he's gone up the M6 mm-hmm. you know you would, go, you would go through the Lake District but you don't go by the sea you're sort of right in the middle of the country I don't think yeah I don't think much of the geography <laughs> makes sense in this film to be honest there are quite a few points where you're kind of like, where are they meant to be? But yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But don't think too much of it, mate. Just just enjoy. Yeah. It, it, it's fine. It's lovely, lovely scenery, um, I have to say. Very nice. I mean, it's beautiful. Mm. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Like, there's genuinely, to give away, like, um, when we're recording this, last night I watched, um, it was the season finale of The Traitors, which is a BBC show, and it's set in... Um, Scotland. Mm-hmm. It's it's in the Scottish Highlands. I came home after my day and watched yeah. the finale because it was a final episode and I had to watch it because okay. I knew I, I wanted to check the newspapers this morning to see if there was any new news stories. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to find out who's won it if I don't. So I fucking stayed up until fucking half two this morning yeah. watching the traitors. <laughs> <laughs> fucking shattered um and um there was a scene where like and they make it look so beautiful and because it's set in this big scottish castle and claudia winkleman comes in this helicopter and she's like i just want to um it's it's the finale so you're gonna go in style and you are gonna go in this helicopter and just take a swoop around probably the most beautiful place on earth the scottish highlands and they swoop round and like they did, you know, there was so much like stags and highland cows and owls and stuff. And you're like, fucking hell, it really is probably one of the most beautiful places on earth. Oh, it's just incredible. Undoubtedly. You know that uh, Alan Cumming is hosting the American version of The Traitors? Uh, I do know that. Yes, mm. yes. I haven't watched it because I'm kind of a bit, nah, I don't know. That's what, I've heard it's quite good though. That's what, but that's, yeah, I mean, I love They get too emotional, the Americans and these things, don't they? That's the problem. Yeah, that's what puts me off. I, and plus, I think the American version that has like some, it's a mix of like normal people and some like reality show people. And I, no, I, I don't want that. I just want to watch normal people fuck it up and abuse and uh, uh, honestly the the finale of the traitors if you watch the traitors no and the reason I've not watched it is because I think it's something that we might enjoy as a family and now that my daughters are teenagers so pinning everybody down at the same place is getting harder and harder you know it's genuinely it it, it is incredible Mm. television like it is incredible like I I know I like reality shows and I I don't like reality shows you know I watch like Big Brother and stuff the traitors is phenomenal okay. because it's so fucking 
thinking you're shouting at the screen because people have just been so fucking devious and lying to people's faces and ah oh, I, I won't spoil the ending of season two but it was fucking hell it was oh my god it was amazing okay um <laughs> kevin in the back of the truck who is transcendental um and i'm going to liberate your waistcoat um what was going on with kevin there do you think and what was going on with that whole scene with the truck <laughs> i mean that was that was kind of weird that's billy mccall um who we've had on the pod yeah. before uh famously hmm. phil mccann in uh slab boys uh, yes yeah um <laughs> yeah um i'm not sure what's i mean obviously they're sort of two guys that are on a bit of an adventure <laughs> you know involving hunters of booze and drugs and stealing cars and all sorts it was nice to see him though because he hasn't done a huge amount so it was nice to see him um back again so soon on the podcast but yeah yeah what a mental scene but also didn't take me out of my that would never happen. Like, I'm totally invested in... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that is pretty much the kind of thing that I could see happening. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. And that's what I love about this film. Like, it is... It, it's completely just realistic. And there's not a single thing that happens in this film, apart from maybe the, the credit card and the phone box with the chewing gum, you know, being stuck to your shoe. But other than that, <laughs> everything, there's nothing else that I'm like, that would never happen. Like, it just all made sense. Well, the, you know? well, the thing is, you're sort of, you know, they, he, he's, Capaldi has created a bit of a, a world in the same way that Bill Forsyth sort of creates this kind of world. And it's it's kind of the world that we recognise, but they're with, with but with a real surreal sort of edge kind of running through it. And you kind of just accept it. After a while, you know what I mean. It's it, yeah. it's like uh, it's like uh, Gregory's girl with the with the wee penguin kind of just wandering around the school <laughs> in the background every now and again, and um, or you know, or the mermaids and um, local hero. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just sort of you just sort of accept it because you know you're invested, and I think that's the case here. Like by the time we meet, um, we meet uh, what what their names, Kevin the Guru and. Uh, Stevie, you're sort of like, yeah, I'm like, because we've already met the really weird B and B guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who, who, who is it? Who, who's not interested until they, they 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 tell them that he's got money and the sort of dark. Uh, he sort of takes them in the dark up to the rooms with like a little lamp and stuff like that instead of putting the lights on and all that kind of thing. And he's just sort of like, yeah, I'm. I'm here for it, you know. So, is there a what's the sweetest scene in the film? Is it the slosh <laughs> at breakfast, which is a beautiful scene? Yeah, and is up there with Morecambe and Wise seeing the breakfast dance for me. Yeah, yeah. Just the it's so beautiful in terms of just a a lovely little scene. Well, it's great because it's the first and it's so the, funny. It's the first time that Gavin really sort of lets himself go a little bit. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. he's he's incredibly uptight uh, for most of the movie. It's particularly when he's with Yvonne and then, you know, he, he finds a song on the radio that he likes and just, just sort of completely gives into it, you know? I think it's because the evening before, obviously, they're they're in bed and he's tired and he just wants to go to sleep and Yvonne's, you know, she says she's a bit nervous and she's talking about how life is like a bowling alley. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're the ball, sometimes you're the skittle. <laughs> and I think he's just so tired and exasperated and I think he wakes up in the morning and maybe thinks about what he's done yeah. and feels guilty and... Yeah, yeah, goes down and just has has fun mm. for the first time that we've seen him have fun. Yeah. And yeah, it's such a beautiful scene just doing the slosh around the breakfast table. It's <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, he, he also th- he also thinks that they're sort of sorted because he's expecting the car to be dropped off 
and all that, yes. and you know everything's you know the, the car's getting fixed. His uncle's sorting it out. It's going to get dropped off. Everything's fine. He's got a song on the radio that he likes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great scene. And yeah, and obviously the car ends up going to Uncle Salvatore back in Glasgow. But they manage to get to the bus station. They get to get well, they don't get to get for the bus, but they they get, run on the bus. And then the reveal that the bus is going to London is hilarious because. It's such a, a lovely scene that they get on the bus, they think everything's sorted. Gavin's so relaxed, he's making faces at yeah, the kids yeah. and he's smiling at everyone. He's like, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And then when the realisation comes over his face and he runs up, it that is absolute fantastic comic timing of the audience don't know. You're like, what's, what's going on? And then you just see the front of the bus that says London and... It's so beautiful in terms of comedic timing that I was just in stitches when I realised. But also feeling like, oh, fuck. How are they going to get back now? But And that's that's a wonderful part, I think, of this film and and, and the way it's been directed and the way it's been written, Mm -hmm. that you're laughing, but you're also in kind of feeling sorry for the characters and like in not in peril, but you know what I mean? Like kind of feeling like, oh, shit, how are they going to get out of this? Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, like a road movie done well, like this one, is a joy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, obviously, there's some really famous ones like Film and the Louise, probably the, the big, the, the the most famous sort of road movie. But you know, when they're done well, Easy Rider, Easy Rider as well, yeah, or um, <laughs> but, uh, Vanishing Point. You know, um, <laughs> the road. The roads, yeah, but yeah, but when they're done well, they're fucking road to perdition. Yep, road trip, <laughs> roadhouse. <laughs> That's not a rude movie. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> like it should be. Um, yeah, you're right. It does, and that, I think that is what the interview I watched with Capaldi. Um, he did say he kind of wanted to make the Great American Road movie, but in set in the UK. Yeah, and it's difficult because the UK is a small aisle. I mean, <laughs> Christ, you've driven to Norwich. Like, it takes like eight nine hours. Well, it took a lot longer yeah, with our mutual friend driving fired on Red Bull because we fucked it. But yeah. it takes probably like if you go from one end to the other, it probably takes you what 12, 13 hours to drive from like end to end. Yeah, I mean, in the UK. It's only, whereas, it's only like five hundred and something miles, something like that. From the from and I would walk five hundred. <laughs> Uh, whereas the US, you know, it takes like two weeks to to cross that. Yeah. So, but he wanted to make like a you know a great British road movie, and I think he it does kind of succeeded. Like it does, it it, it works. Like it is good. Like I I really enjoyed it. Um, and I mean the ending. Obviously, he turns up at the birthday party seven thirty on the dot, mm. and then he's gone because he's gone back to find Yvonne because obviously they've had a falling out. Yeah. That and speech that he delivers on the bridge is so beautiful yeah when he's you know you make me feel mental yeah you know and then you make me feel everything that's you know i'm before he's three next month i'm getting old i'm getting fucking soppy in my old age <laughs> that had me in bits oh really you, know, you make me feel everything yeah, yeah like wow you don't sound very sorry oh stop doing this doing what finding me up i'm not yeah you always get me into a state I don't. You do. You make me feel guilty. You make me feel ha- bad and, and, and happy and, and exasperated. And, and, and think, yeah, I don't know what I am with myself anymore. You make me feel mental. I'm not making you feel anything. You make me feel everything. I feel a bit like that. 
feel like that? About me? Yeah, it's great. And again, it's I don't know like with I don't I never really understood why I never really understood why Capaldi isn't up there in terms of profile and filmography and everything as a Ewan McGregor or a James McAvoy. You know what I mean? Maybe he just maybe he just came along at the sort of wrong time because you know British film when he was uh, a young actor was you know it was a bit there was sort of chariots of fire and local hero and mm. you know in, in terms of like international successful films there wasn't like a great deal and then you know obviously Danny Boyle has launched Ewan McGregor's career with Shallow Grave and Trainspot and then James McAvoy don't know he seemed to be like he seems to go from being like the co-lead on Shameless to like an international film star <laughs> do you know what I mean I don't, I don't, I don't know how. he he was in Early Doors first I will uh, that is one of the, the best sitcoms of all time yeah Early Doors Um, but yeah then he went Shameless and then yeah he left to yeah exactly as yeah. you said basically become an international film star wait, wait, one minute he's in Shameless the next minute he's in that Wanted with fucking Angelina Jolie and Morgan Freeman <laughs> wait how did, how, did that, how did that happen I think it's about timing though mm. um, mate like if you look at you know what we've covered I mean what's what this podcast is about yeah. and if you think about the stuff we've covered we did have like a, a kind of decent filmography probably due to Bill Forsyth in terms of things like Comfort and Joy, local hero, but Scottish cinema. I mean, look at this. It's nineteen ninety two. Like it wasn't a it wasn't a big film. No, I think it made quarter. Um, it made quarter of a million pounds. That was his box office. Yeah, <laughs> and that was it. Was only released in the UK. I mean, British cinema was pretty much dead until four weddings, four weddings and a funeral, yeah. which was ninety four. And then Scottish cinema didn't really explode. It exploded with Train Spotting, mm. but I think that let's be honest, the fucking rock up the arse was Shallow Grave. Yeah, for sure. That really started things. And since then, Scottish cinema has thrived. And But I think if you if you look at the stuff we've covered, it's, it, there was quite a fallow period mm. in that time. And I think Capaldi probably suffered from that yeah. in terms of right actor, wrong time. Okay, th- let's face it, he's he was never going to be a Hugh McGregor or James McAvoy. They are two of very handsome men. Capaldi, as much as I love him, he's not the handsomest of bass, but he has this just amazing rugged look yeah. and you know weather beaten and he he's very handsome in this film but he's never gonna get those parts he's you're never gonna be, well I, okay i do believe him in this film that he wins the lady but you know what i mean i'm never gonna believe him in a kind of you know nice romantic kind of character guy but he is he found his niche you know in terms of just just acerbic kind of wit and just he's got i think he's amazing character and and I'd rather have him as Malcolm Tucker and Doctor Who and as Doctor Pete in um, Field of Blood yeah. than have him being some mega movie star. And I, I reckon he's pretty fucking happy. Yeah, with I, I, what he's done. I mean, if you look at, I'm looking at his IMDb now. You know, so his first credit is something called Living Apart Together. His second, cre- mm. his second credit is Local Hero. <laughs> Do you know mm. what I mean? And then there's stuff like he's 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 in an episode of Minder. He plays George Harrison in a film called John and Yoko, a love story. He's in uh, the There of the White Worm, which is a fucking mental mental Ken Russell film. He's in Rabsi Nesbit. He's in uh, Dramarama, mm. Ruth Rendell, Poirot. He's then this film. He's in the comic strip Prime Suspect Three, where he plays a transvestite. Um, but he's in all sorts like the Mr. Bean, that uh, Psychos that we'll have to do at some point. I think Psychos. So I, th- I think it's a Scottish production, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to do that. Uh, yeah, it's set in a 
psychiatric ward of a Glasgow hospital. You know, like, yeah. so he's he's sort of he's sort of um, built this career just sort of hustling and and uh, chipping away. And then to your point, he gets uh, the thick of it, and suddenly. Yeah. Everybody knows who everybody knows who um, Peter Capaldi is, and they and they. I think we were talking about our favourite uh, Malcolm Tucker moments. I think my favourite, and I can't remember the episode, but there's been some drama that he has managed to resolve, and he's he's walking out of the office, and he says, "Right, I'm away home." Is it? He says, "Right, I'm away home to wipe my to wipe my arse with pictures of Nick Robinson. I'm getting good." <laughs> he goes, he turns and says, "I'm getting good at giving him a quiff." <laughs> It's <laughs> really funny. Oh, fantastic! Oh, wow! But yeah, um, but yeah, but it's it's really been yeah. uh, since Malcolm Tucker that suddenly yeah. these Hollywood films. You know, he was in that uh, World War Z, the Brad Pitt zombie one, Paddington. Um, he was in the Suicide Squad, which was a great film as the as the thinker. You know, it's it's amazing that just one role can just change your career. Oh, yeah, and for it to be a a role which was on like a. A small BBC show, yeah. you know, think of it as much like The Office. Like I think it was the way it was filmed, and I don't think people expected it to take off as much as it did. Yeah, and it did. And I don't think even probably Capaldi expected no. Malcolm Tucker to come off the way he is. And I think Malcolm Tucker now is a word that people would use in terms of even speaking about like a spin doctor, something like, it, oh, he's done a Malcolm Tucker on him there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, Malcolm Tucker has entered the lexicon of kind of <laughs> words and should be in the dictionary, maybe. Um, yeah, but, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, Malcolm, Malcolm Tucker will be forever Capaldi's legacy. Even I would say more than Doctor Who. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, you, yeah, you, you, you could argue if not for say Malcolm Tucker, he might not have got Doctor Who. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, probably not. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, and and I remember when they did the when they did when they did the the, the reveal, like uh, uh, Zoe Ball mm, yeah. on Sunday afternoon, did a we're going to introduce the next Doctor, and when I saw it was him, I was like, yes. Because I had a, I, I knew Christopher Eccleston because I knew him from Shallow Grave and our friends in the North and other things. Um, I didn't know David Tennant really. I hadn't really. Well, I had, there was nothing that I'd seen him in that where he'd stuck in my mind. So I had no idea who he was. No idea who Matt Smith was at all. No. And I actually quite like Matt Smith. As he's, he's quite he's quite a good doctor, and he's I like I like him as an actor. He's a good actor, Matt Smith. Um, but um, but yeah, like when it was Capaldi, I remember just going yes. You know what I mean? Because all the last like two doctors have been these sort of young, these these sort of young guys, and here's Capaldi, a middle aged man, which pretty much all the doctors before Peter Davidson were like middle aged, yeah. middle aged sort of eccentric sort of guys, and uh, mm-hmm. it really felt like a sort of return to that kind of thing, um, and it, and it was, yeah. and the, and the, the and one of the best things about if you were to go and watch um, Capaldi's run as Doctor Who is you get to see a lot of Jenna Coleman. Maybe not the bits that you want to see of her, but you get to see. <laughs> but she's 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 his companion, <laughs> right? I am definitely going to go back and um, revisit Capaldi as Doctor Who. Then that's um, yeah, big fan, Jim Coleman. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, anything else on soft top, hard shoulder? Only one thing. Right in my notes, I've written the word queer hawk. Right. <laughs> And, uh, and okay. obviously, sorry for laughing at that. <laughs> obviously, because 
somebody has said that in the film. And I can't remember who said it. But I remember thinking, I've not heard that word for fucking ages. Queer hawk. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, do I, I can't remember, but I do remember it being mentioned in the film. And I, I can't remember why. Um, the other thing to get us off, to get us out of trouble, um, is uh, do you love that every company or slogan that you see has we care yeah, yeah. after it? Which is very much a kind of reminds me of like a Orwellian kind of 1984, mm-hmm. um, like almost homage. But um, I like that, that literally every company just has, we care, as their slogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So is it time to put uh, Soft Top Hard Shoulder through the Swally Awards? Let's do it, Greg. What have we got first? Because actually there's quite a few awards that we don't, I, I don't really have anything for. Yeah. Which will shock you because, yeah. Normally you find something. No, I know you're right. But uh, yeah, there's a couple that we can't, it's probably not, anything but the first one then is the bobby the barman award for the best pub so there's not really the only place i could find that's like a pub is where he runs into his uncle salvatore yeah well that's a a coffee shop that's it that's it that serves booze (laughs) yeah but i i I think they go it's a different location i think they they run into each other in the coffee shop and then they go to an italian restaurant oh um, all right i thought where they have booze okay i don't think it's the same place um because it looks like a different kind of setting but Mm. yeah that was what i had or service stations but you can't really get booze i'm sure you can from the garage yeah you can't now but you couldn't land something but yeah. probably not then yeah um but yeah that's all i want with it because there's no actual pubs no um the next award then is one that i think there's a few candidates for the james cosmo award for being in everything scottish what did you go for for this i went for clive russell okay how about yourself? I had a a double edge bet. I went with Anne Scott Jones mm-hmm. or Phyllis Logan. Okay. But Clive Russell was also on my list as well. It was between the three. So I think we could pick. Maybe Phyllis Logan has maybe done a little bit more yeah. English stuff. Yeah. So Anne Scott Jones, though, has been a hell of a lot. But Clive Russell as well. Yeah. And I always, I, I you know, I always get Clive Russell mixed up. I, I Instantly, I was like, that's Ian McCall. Yeah. And then I'm like, no, it's Clive Russell. Yeah. I don't know why. It was too mixed up. They look so similar. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, Clive Russell's a good shout. But yeah, Anne Scott Jones would probably be my first shout for that. Okay. Um, next then. So I think this is the first one that we can't really do. And that's the Jake McQuillan Award. The T-Zoot Award. Because nobody <sighs> nobody gets their tea taken out. <laughs> There's nothing. I mean, I kind of put the Red Beetle driving them off the road, if that makes sense. Like yeah. Gavin kind of gets his comeuppance because he's trying to race, but it's not really a tease and there's there's no violence. Like the only other thing is when he's chasing Yvonne mm-hmm. and trips her over and then the wedding dress spills out. But other than that, there's no violence. So yeah. I don't think there's a tease in this. No, I don't think there is. Um, and the next one, I don't think there is either. The uh, Hugh McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. <laughs> no, no nudity. So no. Um, next one, I think we kind of gave away at the beginning, um, but the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. I had him telling the animal rights charity collector to fuck off after he's been rejected um, by the publishing company. It's just so unexpected, and it's just the best use of swearing. It's so I laughed so much just, and it's that only the way Capaldi can <laughs> deliver a fuck off. <laughs> As we know so well with Tucker, but it's just animal rights, animal rights, fuck off. Yeah. It's just, it, it's beautifully done and is absolutely the best use of swearing. And there's not a lot of swearing in no. this. There's a couple of 
bastards and stuff, mm. but that is without a doubt well, the, the winner. It's, especially when he seems quite pragmatic about the rejection. He's sort of, mm. well, you know, thanks very much, blah, blah, blah. But then you, we realise that he's actually incandescent. <laughs> yeah. You know. He's fucking raging. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, okay, next one then is archetypal Scottish moment. So what did you go for here? So I originally put the slosh, but then... I thought you may have gone for the slosh. It, it's Scottish, but it originated in Wigan. So is it really Scottish? No. So I went with the absolute sheer joy both of them have. Crossing the border. When they're cross, crossing the border <laughs> and you see the welcome Scotland <laughs> sign. That is... I, every time I would do that, it would... I'd reach a cheer yeah like I'm back home and that is yeah but that type archetypal Scottish yeah me too exactly the same okay and then the final award then is the Connery Award who who won the film for you uh Richard Wilson for me no it's Capaldi obviously (laughs) of course it's Capaldi it's Capaldi's film um he's written it he's starring in it and he's great in it and yeah, it's Capaldi's film, so Capaldi has to win. This. Absolutely, yeah. And the thing is, as well, you know, he a, a, a couple of years later he won the best short film Oscar for mm. "It's a Wonderful Life" with Franz Kafka. With Franz Kafka, um, you know, uh, I guess it's, it's just I guess it just sort of demonstrates the fickle world of film, you know, because you would assume that you get an Oscar for the best short film that you, there's a feature film in your near future, you know. Um, but who knows? And that was also a recommendation from Strong Henry, who I guess is a Peter Capaldi fan. I guess he so, is. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll do that at some yeah. point later I'm on. Not sure. On this, I'm part. not sure. I'm not sure we could do an hour on a short film, but maybe we could. I don't know. <laughs> We'll give it a bash. Yeah. We'll just—I think we could. I think we could pretty much um, talk nonsense for a while. We could, I, I think we could fill the time. Yeah. Uh, okay. We'll maybe save it for. During the summer when Cosmos at the Euros. Um, okay, so that was my choice of uh, this week, Greg. Soft top, hard shoulder. What are you picking next time on the Swally? So I've gone for a horror film. Uh, well, you know, oh. the next uh, for our next film, starring I would love to say friend of the podcast Florence Pugh, but she's got fucking no idea who we are. Um, <laughs> ben Lloyd. I wish she did. Be, oh. Ben Ben Lloyd Hughes. Celia Imrie and the legend that is James Cosmo. Oh! 2018's uh, Netflix movie, Malevolent. Okay. Never seen it. Never. It rings a bell, but I've never seen it. Yeah, I've never seen it either. Um, It's directed by Icelandic director Olaf de Fleur Johansson. Um, So, uh, yeah, looking forward to to watching it. It sounds rather good. It's on Netflix, so it should be an easy one to uh, to find for us. And it's got Cosmo and Imri in it, uh, two of our favourite Scottish actors. Ah, wonderful. I will look forward to watching that then. I, I was going to say I watched that tonight, but I, oh fuck, I want to watch um, Hit, the Hitcher. Yeah. Oh, but then Gladiators is on, and, 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 oh, and you got to shit. you got to watch only when I laugh as well. Oh, I'm going to have a busy couple of days. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I need to edit this pod as well. Fuck. Okay, right, I better go. Um, okay, right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us on cultureswally at gmail and send us any news stories from Scotland you think we would like and you'd like us to read out in the show, or send us any requests or recommendations and we will cover them on the podcast you can follow us on the socials we're on insta at culture swally pod i think we're on threads at culture swally pod as well and we are also on x formerly known as twitter 
at SwallyPod. And Greg, we have a wonderful website as well, don't we? We do. You can find us at cultureswally.com where there is new content. <laughs> um, yeah, you can come and read uh, a four-part uh, blog feature uh, where I discuss my three favourite uh, Sean Connery performances um come and give us some hits on the old website and i'm not just saying this because i'm biased but um yeah i genuinely love that blog it really made me um yeah Aww. really happy Aww. to read that so Thanks, i would recommend anyone to give that a read and enjoy right well that wraps up this episode of the show so um yeah yeah i guess i'll leave you to it greg i'll give you to it and should we tell the listeners that we're going on t- tour Kind of soon. We're going to have, well, we're going to, we're going on tour. We're going to Brussels. In fact, well, this episode will come out, what, the day before we. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yep. Is that the, yeah, this the episode. 8th of February? I think 9th of February it comes out. Um, yeah, this episode will come out, yeah, the day before we actually meet up in Brussels. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, Swally Boys are going on tour. We're having a, a couple of days in Brussels to, to tear shit up yeah. and <laughs> enjoy. So, um, yeah, it'll like, be like a, a shit version of In Bruges. <laughs> yeah. But um, hopefully with less midgets and more drugs. Yeah. Um, or less drugs and more midgets. No, it'll, it'll be like a, a shit version of In Bruges, but um, we will have lots of fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, because that's why we're banking this episode. Yeah. Um, because you'll be away for that weekend. So I won't see you next time. I'll see you in Brussels. And then I'll see you next time on The Swallow. See you in Brussels. Animal rights. Thank you. Oh, animal rights. Fuck off.